certainly with repetitive activities, there are overuse injuries that can absolutely contribute to problems down the road where they have injuries, they have chronic issues, they may develop arthritis at a younger age. There's going to be disability down the road that could be associated with this. And I do this in the concussion world as well. We talk about risk reward. Welcome to the now and future of orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. And I'm your host, Sam Coates. Campbell Clinic is over a century years old, and its physicians are recognized thought leaders in the field of orthopedics around the world. On this podcast, you'll hear the latest treatments and advancements in musculoskeletal care through research, innovation, teaching, and the writing of Campbell's operative orthopedic textbook. For more episodes, please search the now and future of orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Hey, everyone. Our guest today is Dr. John Hyden. Dr. Hyden was the first primary sports medicine doctor here at the Campbell Clinic. And as he says, their specialty has exploded over the last 10 years. Dr. Hyden attended the University of Tennessee Memphis Medical School. He did his residency at Wake Forest University Medical Center and completed his fellowship in sports medicine at Boston University. So join us on this episode where Dr. Hyden covers the harm of early sports specialization, the past, present, and future of primary sports medicine, plus so much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Dr. John Hyden. Dr. Hyden, great to see you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. Yes, sir. Kick things off. You know, here we are in Memphis, Tennessee, in the southeast of the United States, but there's listeners to this podcast around the country and around the world. Could you maybe here at the start share what's unique about your role in Campbell Clinic's role with primary care sports medicine yeah. versus general orthopedic surgery in sports or everyday activities. So maybe I'll just kind of start talking about who I am, you know, a little bit because I'm, you know, I'm a Memphis kid. So I grew up in Memphis. I was an athlete in Memphis. I played football, basketball, soccer, and high school soccer and college. Just grew up around sports, and then I had an uncle that as a doctor and did primary care sports medicine. So I grew up around that, watching him, kind of seeing what he did, and being an athlete myself, kind of decided, I knew when I was probably a teenager that this is the thing I wanted to do, that I wanted to go and be a doctor and go into primary care sports medicine. I knew it when I was in high school. So, you know, and even going into college and going into medical school, I knew that. Yeah, so I pursued that career and went down that path. I did, you know, college and then medical school, and then I did my uh family medicine residency at Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and my fellowship in Boston. Because when I was training, actually, there was no there was no way to train here. We actually, we created a fellowship here about 12 years ago. So now if someone's like me and they want to stay here, we can train them and, and allow them to be here. So we did that. And 13 years ago, uh, Camel Clinic hired me as the first primary care sports medicine guy here. This clinic's been around a long time, and I was the first one like me here. Before me, everyone, every physician that was here was either a North Peak surgeon or a back specialist, a, what we call a physiatrist. So they hired me, and the thought was what I was going to do was be kind of a workhorse in the clinic for them, seeing a lot of things in clinic, and then helping with sports activities, helping with sports coverage. 
So what, yeah, what makes me different than orthopedic surgeon? So I don't operate. I'm never in the operating room. I'm in clinic pretty much all the time. If you imagine what an orthopedic surgeon does in clinic, that's what I do. Uh, so I see injuries. I see broken bones. I see ailments. It hurts here. It hurts there. Trying to figure it out. I'm kind of that, that guy that a lot of people send to, we can't figure out what this is. You know, can you figure it out? We know it's something orthopedic related. So I do that. Then the other thing is in my world is concussion. So from a sports concussion side in Memphis, I'm probably the one that sees the most sports-related concussions in this city. So I do a lot of concussion management of, at all levels, from elementary age to professional age. Uh, then, you know, certainly we're, we're doing a lot of our sports coverage, you know, covering all the teams. And we can go into that, but, you know, kind of who all we take care of and things like that. Yeah, but you know, that, that's kind of what I do. There are people that do what I do that do a lot of ultrasound guided procedures, which I'm kind of old. I trained before that was in vogue. So, but people that are like your age that do what I do, they're doing a lot of ultrasound stuff. So we have, there's five other guys like me here at Camel Clinic now. And they're a lot of a lot of their time. They're doing ultrasound guided injections, diagnostic ultrasound procedures, things like that. Couple things I'll circle back on. Yeah. Just curious there. So is that an emerging or newer technology? The ultrasound guided treatment. Uh, it's been around a long time, but our world, it certainly over the last ten years, has kind of exploded. So you'll see in primary care sports, there's us- there's kind of several paths people can go down. Uh, they can go down the path of doing kind of what I do, where you're more on the orthopedic side and taking care of teams. And there's more people that are on the kind of the primary care side, managing like exercise and physiology and things like that. But a lot of people that are doing the sports side, the ortho side, are really doing a lot of ultrasound. So we're pretty high volume. So a lot of our internal referrals, they're busy enough. That our guys are busy enough that they they get this stuff just internally, you know, so... Uh, we have one guy that probably ninety percent of his time is ultrasound. You know, so so someone that like if someone that's going through now that's interested in my world, ultrasound is a big thing. You know, so when when we're recruiting or trying to attract our our people we're training, that's a big thing that we promote. Yeah, it's definitely a big deal. It's a big deal in this world. You said something a, a minute ago. You said when I was coming up, yeah, you went to UT Memphis Medical School, yes, and then you went to Wake Forest for your yeah. fellowship, yeah. And then Boston University for your residency, correct? No, so Wake Forest for residency, Boston University for fellowship. Okay, sorry. Got the order wrong. Yeah, that's okay. But you said when I was coming up, we didn't have that here. Yeah. So I couldn't train here. Yeah. But we have that now. Yeah. Could you elaborate more on that? Yeah, so one of the things that that they tasked me to do when I came here was to start a fellowship. So so what we do now is we train people that, that are interested in doing what I do. So every year we have one person that we train that they uh, they go on and eventually do what I do. We've actually hired one of them that we've trained before. So one of them is working for us here. But they go on kind of all over the country. We have 12 of them now, so they're kind of all over the place. Uh, but yeah, I knew, I love Memphis. I want to be here forever, you know. And if there was something like that here, if there was a fellowship here when I was training, I would have stayed here. I wouldn't have left. And I'm kind of happy I did. It, it gave me a good perspective on the world, but uh, I still missed home a lot. And we, we came back home as soon as we could. But now, so if someone is like me, they're a Memphis kid. They want to stay in Memphis and train and do what we do. You know, they can, they, the, the possibility is there now. And that's in conjunction with... UT Memphis, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So our fellowship is is affiliated with UT Memphis it's, or UT Health Science Center. 
it's affiliated with Camel Clinic. It's affiliated with St. Francis Family Medicine's residency program. How many, when you think about across the United States, how many orthopedic groups or organizations are there that actually have a fellowship opportunity in that city? From a primary care side, yes, sir. It, there, we're all over the country now. There's over a hundred that uh, in this country now. You know, it, it's growing. It grows every year, but there's there's over a hundred. But it's it's fair to say that Campbell Clinic brought that opportunity here to Memphis. Absolutely. You know, if you look at us, you draw a circle around us. We are. Uh, certainly in Tennessee, I think we rival anyone from the fellowship side. Uh, there is, you know, Jackson, Mississippi has one. There's there's one that just started in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, but you you see it, it kind of, it's interesting you see it because when we recruit, when we're interviewing for our fellowship, we get a lot of people that are from this area because there aren't a lot of fellowships around this area. So we are the, we're definitely the, probably the most prominent and really the only one in this Mid-South area. Absolutely. Yeah. What would you say? Without this question sounding overtly positive or biased, but it, it seems true, Campbell Clinic is willing to invest in the future. They're willing to do things that others may not be in the position to do, or they're willing to leverage capital or finances to build things out, to hire people, to prepare the way. Yes. I mean, there's a trend here. And is there anything that you could speak to that's unique from an orthopedic standpoint on maybe delayed gratification or putting the interests of the patients at the forefront to continue to play the long game and bring value and create opportunity the way that you've trailblazed that here? Well, certainly in Memphis, if you look at it, we are the only group that has employed someone like me, you know, so there's no other group in Memphis that employs someone like me. There's a, there's one other person that kind of does it on her own, but uh, so certainly that investment is there. If you look at the education component, you know, of Campbell Clinic, kind of our our focus on that, certainly with residency, with fellowships, you know, we are training people uh, for the future, you know, to kind of be able to do what we do. And we invest a lot of time and money into that, certainly. Then on a research side, you know, there's a lot of research that we're doing to kind of promote things and figure out what are the better ways to do things. But on our side, you know, we, the the clinic keeps investing in people like me because they see that, that benefit, you know, what can we do? You know, we can be, we can be available for people, you know, we can, we can do those things that are a little bit different. You know, we're not, we're not surgeons. So we kind of think a little differently than the surgeons sometimes, which patients like, don't they, that everyone doesn't want to have a surgery, you know, and, so uh, we we do a, we do a lot of kind of good things in that way, and I, I think Camel Clinic has been really good about investing in that and and promoting that. You know, if if you look at it, so 13 years ago they hired me, and there's now there's six of us. You know, so clearly there's there is a, a plan and an, and a, a strategy there to get more people like us. Yeah, Arthur. What, what's the value at the end of the day from the specialty and then people that are in a community where that specialty is available. Well, I, I always say I I want to find ways to keep people living and moving like they want to move and live. You know, and I, I think we we're pretty good at that because we we're you know, we, we see it in a lot of different ways, whether that's the, you know, the physical side or the mental side. You know, there's a lot of different reasons why people have trouble moving. And when you're trained in the primary care world, you kind of think that way. You think a little bit in in that manner. Some of it is really knowing how to utilize the resources that you have in the right ways. But I think we're pretty good at that. So you're saying you think more holistically about the person? Yeah, I think there's definitely a holistic approach that you have. Absolutely. 
Okay. Yeah. There, and, and you see it in our training. In our training, we're, we're kind of obligated and required to focus on things beyond just the orthopedic side. How would you describe, for somebody listening to this that may not be as fully clear on primary care sports medicine the way that you are, what's the past of this specialty and where is it today and, and where is it headed? Yeah, so certainly it's, it's a young specialty. I, I kind of mentioned my, so my uncle. My uncle, um, he was one of the f- kind of pioneers of this world. He started two fellowships and start in, even in the late 80s was doing this when there weren't a lot of people in this country doing this. Okay? And where, where, what he was in Alabama. He was in Huntsville, Alabama, Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but he, he was a Memphis guy too. He grew up in Memphis, but just ended up kind of going to Alabama. So really in the late 80s, early 90s, this specialty did not exist. It did not. And then it kind of, they started fellowships and they started training people in this. And then it it evolved. What you saw was orthopedic groups kind of saw these people that were trained like me as a valuable resource. And they, they started hiring them and utilizing them in some ways. And then as the years went, it kind of expanded and expanded and expanded. I did my training medical school and residency in the early 2000s. And it was it was kind of exponentially growing then. And then as we've gone on over the last decade or so, it, it continues to grow, probably not at the rate it was growing in the early 2000s, but it certainly has expanded, expanded, expanded. If You, you would be hard-pressed to find a large orthopedic group in this country that doesn't have someone like me. You know, it, it is, it's kind of the majority of them do have someone like me. Then, you know, the other thing that you're seeing that's evolving is the ultrasound world, the what we call the proliferative injection world. There's a lot of things that are very unique to people that are trained like me that are becoming even more in vogue. So uh, you're seeing that, that expanding as well. Most of us are probably either part of a primary care group or part of a large orthopedic group, but, you know, we're, we're growing. It, it, it continues to grow. There's there are actually some concern that it's growing too fast, so you'll see some of the pushback from the organizations that that accredit the training will tell uh, there there's some pushback as far as trying to cut back the 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 growth in fellowships yeah and is the service the value because an, an orthopedic surgeon only has so much time so our lives i was hired initially to pro- and probably hired in a lot of ways to make the orthopedic surgeon's lives a lot better and you know if you see it if you look at it in our in, in the clinic certainly uh, we are the ones that kind of are the the pillars of the clinic so we're we're always available so you know if someone needs to be seen you know we're going to be available to be seen okay and then uh, we're going to be there you know when the surgeons are in the operating room some people like me they're hired by groups and they really make it to where they the, the orthopedic surgeon is doing a lot more surgeries because they're going to be able to spend more time there and they're going to funnel all that stuff to them yeah, and, and then from the side outside of clinic, certainly, yes, we're, we are, you know, we help with a lot of the coverage. You know, there's stuff that we do with our teams and our uh, organizations that we take care of that doesn't involve eight to five, you know. So we are, we're really involved with that. And we, we do help the other people that used to be doing, doing that on their own. You know, it's certainly the, the more people that are doing that, the less, the, you know, the, the more equitable the time is, and they, they'll have some more time to do the things that they want need to do. You know, so you know, my my world is not just here in clinic. I'm outside of clinic. I'm doing things all the time. You know, 
Tonight after clinic, I have to go cover a women's basketball game at the University of Memphis. I have to be there in person. Tomorrow after clinic, I have to cover a Grizzlies game. You know, so we are, you know, we're doing those kinds of things, yeah. Could you share recently, you know, John Moran for the Grizzlies, he's out for the year. Huge blow. Yeah. Tough deal. I cannot imagine being his physician and surgeon making those decisions because you got this one aspect of the love, the talent, how important somebody is to the organization performance, not to mention the record before he was back. And then you got what's in his best interest. Sure. What's in his best interest, his or her best interest down the road. Sure. For, as a physician, as a professional like yourself, maybe take that example and apply it to all your patients. What are your own principles and priorities when you think about the bigger picture, the team, mm-hmm. the organization, but also the person? So we give a talk to our fellow on being a team physician. And one of those things is, uh, you know, who are all the members of the team? You know, certainly. So you have that, that your team, uh, certainly the player the coach, you know, the the organization, the the family, you know, the friends, uh, then the team doctor, and there's a lot of a lot of different people there, you know, a lot of pe- different people on that team. You you always have to make sure that you're being professional, certainly, you know, so you're you're treating things appropriately, you know. So what is the standard of care? Certainly, is something that you always have to understand and know, uh, and then it's it's what's best for the the team members involved and certainly there you know the the priority almost always significantly is on the athlete you know on the on the 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 patient you know but there there definitely you have to take in those other factors and think of those other things uh, not always easy decisions especially at that major professional level because there's a a lot of factors involved including a lot of money involved you know that make that that goes along with these decisions but you still you have to follow a standard of care you have to you have to do what's right for the patient and that doesn't the, the fact that there's millions of fans and millions of dollars probably affected by these decisions shouldn't affect that in any way what's the pressure like that is a hard thing to do. You just have to be very confident and sure about your decision making and understanding what you're doing. If you're very sure of your decisions, that's there's no pressure there. And yes, yeah, some people are going to be upset and not happy, uh, but you have to do that. I always tell a good story about um, one of my first jobs. I covered MMA. Uh, I covered an MMA event in Jackson, Tennessee. Okay, so. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, and it's an interesting, it was an interesting place, yeah. So I'm the doctor there, and the guy gets, like, hit, beat up pretty good, and I have to come in the ring, and I have to assess him. And he has a cut right above his eye, and we really can't get the cut to, we can't get to stop bleeding, and it's going into his eye, so he can't see. So I'm like, "Eh, we have to stop the fight. So they get on the PA announcement and say, this fight has been stopped due to physician decision. And, you know, certainly everyone in that crowd is like, boo, boo, because they want to see a fight. Yeah, so they're booing, you know, they're booing me. They're like, "Uh, booing the doctor. Yeah, they're booing me. And, you know, and we have like, we're only halfway through this thing. So I'm sitting there the rest of the night, and all these people know know exactly who I am and what the, the, I'm, I, I, I ruined their night because I stopped that fight. Yeah, but I, you run into stuff like that, unfortunately, in my world. I, that's, you know, I, I love doing what I do because a lot of what I do is getting people to move and getting back to playing sports and doing things and doing the things they love and that they're good at. But sometimes you have to tell people you can't, and that stinks. And is that the only way to have a long career that's successful and effective? Uh, it's one of them, probably not the only way. Everyone deals with 
things differently. (laughs) I struggle in my world because I'm a pleaser. I'm a pleaser, and it gets me when people don't like me. And sometimes I have to make decisions that people don't like, and they may not like me because of it. And yeah, I struggle with it sometimes. It's a challenge sometimes, but it's uh, I, I I guess I try to focus on the good things and get through it. Yeah. But just do the right thing. Yeah. Over and don't be swayed by sure. external opinion when sure. it's not in the best interest of. A- You'll get in a lot of trouble if you don't do the right stuff. If you don't follow the standard of care and you don't do what's appropriate, you can get in some big trouble. So yeah, it's you. You've got to be true to what your training is, what your principles are, and and what you know is the right thing to do. Could you maybe talk about the versatility as a doctor between, let's say you have a professional athlete, college athlete, high school athlete, but then you also have a weekend warrior, yeah. somebody that's doing triathlons, somebody that, yeah. you know, plays soccer on the weekends or at nights. What have you learned about excellence and care and treatment for not just the professional athletes, but the weekend warrior? Everyone's life is just as important as the next person's life, and Yes, you learn how to manage things in a lot of different ways, but there there is a, a way you manage things, and it, that applies to weekend warriors. That applies to professional athletes. Uh, so it's really just the repetitiveness of the of the specialty, doing things over and over again. You find patterns. You recognize what's good for some and what's not good for others. You know, certainly your your pro athletes, the way they train and their priorities going to be a little different than your weekend warriors, but you know, if someone comes and sees me, they want to get better, don't they? You know, so I want to find some way to get them better. And I want to make sure that we're doing the right thing to get them better and getting them there as soon as we can or the best way possible. What about with this community? You said you're the first person here to build out your specialty. Right. And now there's six others. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. So how has this community changed because of that? Yeah, so I, I think you've seen a lot of, you know, we have a we have a resource and something that wasn't here when I was growing up and, and playing, you know. So uh, we're, we certainly have uh, access and availability in a very unique way. I would probably tell, you know, the, the biggest world is probably the concussion world because we did not, you know, we did not have a sports concussion specialist here uh, really until we started it. Now there are some people that do it, but you know, from a sports concussion side, we are the ones here. You know, so you know, I get pretty much daily calls and texts, kind of seeing, can you see someone? Can you can you figure out what's going on here or help help us through this? You know, so that certainly has changed this area a lot. You know, I, I think we we provide awareness and of issues. You know, and again, going back to concussion, I think we we have kind of pioneered that in this city. Uh, there's many times we've done conferences, lectures, you know, I've seen, you know, we've seen multiple, multiple people over the years that, you know, certainly we, we do a lot of awareness and in, in that on, on that side. So that certainly is a, a, a service and a product that that was not available in this city. I tell you on the ultrasound side, it is something that is huge for this area. Uh, when you have that, that that diagnostic and procedural ultrasound expertise here, uh, it, it's something that is huge. You know, you, I, you would, if we didn't have it here, we would be sending people three, four hours away to do stuff. And that, that that's no good. So certainly we have it here and it's, we're running with it and doing well with it. Yeah. For those of us that may be a little unclear about that, just, I mean, I've had an ultrasound before, but I don't really understand 
the tie-in and the uniqueness yeah. with orthopedics. You talked about that earlier. So could you explain this yeah, more? Yeah, so on ultrasound side, there's what we call diagnostic ultrasound, where they can look at look at things under ultrasound and tell you what it is, you know, and what's going on. And we do that often. We do that for tendon injuries. We do that for masses. We do that for uh, can't figure out is it a nerve that's entrapped somewhere. So that's there. And then then we talk about injection, the injection world with ultrasound. And there's a lot of ways you can inject things, but ul- ultrasound guided injection is a big deal. You know, especially you're trying to get some specific places. You know, uh, the shoulder, the hip joint, those are ones that are sometimes very difficult to get into. Or if you don't want to hit something or you want to go around something and you find that, find it on ultrasound. So uh, that that's what we use ultrasound for in a lot of ways, yeah. And you're saying this is a very precise technology with orthopedics that not as many people have access to historically. Sure. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a, it's evolving and it's really it's something that people that train like 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 me now, that's that's a that's an expertise that they they're required to get. So we train our fellow every year on it. They come out ready to do that stuff. And you're yeah. saying people outside of Campbell Clinic in Memphis, Tennessee, people would have to go three to four hours to get that. If they want what we do, yes. What there do you are mean? some people that are doing ultrasound stuff. Yeah. You know, there are some other people doing it, but if they want to do it to the level that we do it when you're trained, like like you need to be trained to do it, yes. Like through the residency or through your residency, through your fellowship in the right way, yes. And what are the outcomes to the patient, the athlete, the weekend warrior, whoever it is, because of that technology? I would tell you that there's probably many of them that would tell you it's been a fantastic uh, experience for them. Uh, it's less invasive. It's something that maybe it is uh, more precise and to the point and can actually figure things out a little quicker, sooner, you know, think, things like that. So yeah. you're going to have much better insights on your own issues going on within your body and then it proves your recovery and you absolutely could there's a lot of good potential to it hence why that people like me get hired many places and they're looking for us yes yeah i saw one point that said roughly 1.6 to 3.8 million people a year have concussion related incidents and then also saw that concussion rates increased 18 percent in the nfl from 2021 to 2022 and then I saw that school-aged children concussion rates increased nearly 1.5 times from 2010 to 2014 to 2015, 2017. Does any of that sound somewhat maybe accurate? Yeah, it is. The true uh, number of concussions uh, probably is not significantly different, but the awareness of it has, has changed. And I think, so we're seeing the the numbers that are higher in comparison to 10, 20 years ago, but maybe the the true realization of what a concussion is is probably not that significantly different. But yeah, absolutely. We're seeing, I I would probably think it's even greater than that, just the amount that I see, but I live in a, in a different world than so, the rest of the world. So you're saying there's more awareness? Yes, there absolutely is more awareness of concussion. And this may be a dumb question, but what are the consequences with concussions, with a lack of awareness, not just to the individual, but to societies as a whole. So there's a lot of disability that goes along with concussion and concussion-related symptoms. You know, you're not able to live the life you want to live. You know, you're not able to think like you need to think sometimes. You're not able to move like you want to move sometimes. You can't, uh, uh, there's a lot of different things that can be affected from a concussion side. So there's a lot of potential for disability with concussion. 
And then if you have people that are not doing the things that they need and want to do, it certainly affects society, doesn't it? You you can't work, you can't go to school, you can't do the things that you enjoy doing, you know? So there's, there's definitely troubles from a societal standpoint with that as well. And so you're saying part of your specialty, you've been able to see a direct correlation between impact to this community with the amount of people in this area that have had concussions and then how they can get proper treatment to recover the best way they can. Sure. From a sports side, from a sports concussion side, we we do it. You know, we're the ones that do it here. What can you say about awareness, technology, and where the world is headed within just the specific topic of concussions that's important? to Like, let's say a parent is listening yeah. to this, or let's say a college athlete is yeah. listening to this. Where's this area headed? That world changes every day. I, it, it, with concussion, you have to be comfortable with you. Uh, you've got to learn every day, you know. So uh, it's a challenge for parents and athletes and people that are in the general population because they don't. We don't expect them to know the latest or everything that you know that's that's out there. So uh, this world is totally evolving all the time. I, I tell you, there's a lot of. There's things that change every year, you know, so where we, you have to keep up on this stuff. That's one of the good things about actually me training someone every year is I have to keep up with things because I have to teach someone, yeah. you know, so, uh, and so that, that's good, but certainly we do it. We're in the trenches. We're seeing the athletes with these things. So, you, you know, we, we understand kind of that we need to continue to educate ourselves and know what's going on with the, the latest research, with the latest you know, kind of the, the way things are changing. But it, it, concussion is not a simple world. It's not a simple world. It's not black and white. It's a lot of gray. You know, so you have to be very comfortable with that too. Yeah. But uh, it's it's ever evolving and changing. Medicine in general is like that. You know, if you if you're not comfortable with continuing to learn the rest of your life, then you probably shouldn't go into medicine. And are you saying because of the residency, your teaching, your training, it's keeping you on your edge? Oh, it certainly helps, doesn't it? I, I, it absolutely helps me because I have to be able to train someone to do what I do. And if I'm not knowledgeable in that world, that's not good, is it? Yeah, so it, it absolutely helps. I've never thought about that, even though I'm sure other people may have got there sooner, but the value of the residency itself, yeah. keeping the surgeons, the staff, the front line sharp and accountable yep. because you're, you're training the next generation. Right. One of the best ways you can learn is by having to teach it. Yeah. So our uh, we you know our fellow every year has to teach residents and medical students and we love that because that requires our fellow to have to learn to be able to teach that. Yeah. So it it, it applies to us as well even though we're old I'm an old man doing this world been doing this for 20 years, you know, uh, it, it still is something that uh, it, it allows me to continue to have that drive and that that desire to have to continue to learn. When you think about your field with sports medicine, what are you not happy with? Oh man, I'm terrible with not happy because again, I'm like a, I'm like a, I'm always a super positive person. You know, I think one of the things we really, really struggle with, and I even struggle with this with my own kids is, is early specialization in sport. You know, I really think that it's it's a tough world because you get, I, and I see it daily. I see kids that are young that get these chronic use injuries because they are doing the same sport all year long, all the time. You know, and and there's a lot of great evidence and research behind that's not a great thing to do. I, and I'm I'm guilty with it sometimes too. But my both my boys 
are competitive soccer players, and there really is not a time of year when we're not doing soccer. But I see some, I certainly see the extremes of it, and it, it's concerning sometimes. You see kids with injuries that are overuse injuries that are very much avoidable that that they're they're having because of this repetitive these repetitive activities over and over and over again. Yeah. So what do you do? Uh, you do your best to try to encourage the importance of not specializing early and playing multiple sports. And it's it's educating. It's educating the parents, the coaches, the community, if you can. There were some years where we were having these seminars where we were talking about that. Uh, you know, and it's, but it's a challenge. You know, I, I live in the competitive soccer world. I know those people. I know what it's like, but there's, that's not just soccer. There's baseball, there's volleyball, there's gymnastics, there's the cheerleading. You know, there's all kinds of repetitive, repetitive activities that people do all year long. And it's always trying to keep up with the next person by doing more and more and more. And you're seeing kids, young, young kids that are doing this and they're getting, they're getting hurt. They're getting injured. And it, it's kind of sad to see that sometimes. Is there a direct correlation between the data on injuries versus boys and girls that are playing the same sports? Early or? specialization, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of good could research you, behind you that. you know that off the top of your I head? I do not off the top of my head, but yes. I could you give me about an hour. I could give you a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So where do you, where do you just curious, where do you see this headed? Because it seems yeah. like it's only going to get worse. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. I I think you're right that that it it just keeps going in that d- direction and the challenge with that is is this uh you know the these sports there's a lot of capital involvement, there's a lot of money involved in it. There's a lot of people that have a lot of resources in this world. So they they're, they're certainly not going to like they're, they're not going to want to want people to slow down. So I don't know, you know, the best thing we can do is continue to educate and tell people it's not the best thing to do. You know, certainly when we see the injuries, it's a little easier sell, you know, but uh, it's sometimes hard. You know, it's, that's a, that is a hard, hard world. And, they, and I live that world every day. I do. I live that world. I, I'm around those people every day. And it's, it's hard. It is a hard world. So it, it seems things are only going to continue to move based off what I heard. Things are only going to move in a certain direction. And all you can do as a, as a physician, a doctor, and a surgeon is to tell people the truth. Certainly with repetitive activities, overuse, there are overuse injuries that can absolutely contribute to problems down the road where they have injuries, they have chronic issues, they may develop arthritis at a younger age, they may, you know, there, there's going to be disability down the road that could be associated with this, you know. So it absolutely is a concern, and that's, we always, and I do this in the concussion world as well, we talk about risk-reward, okay? So... If you do a sport and do an activity, the risk the the risk should not outweigh the reward, should it? Yeah, no, it shouldn't. So uh, we don't jump out of an airplane without a parachute, do we? Because the I bet it'd be pretty cool to do. It'd be pretty like awesome to feel that, but the risk of it is too great. Isn't you get one it? Yeah. shot, right? Right. But we talk about this with sport. Certainly, there is risk, isn't there? And repetitive activities, there is risk. Uh, you can injure joints. You can injure your head. You can. There's a lot of there's a lot of risk. But also with sport, there's reward, isn't there? There's being part of a team, learning how to be a leader, learning how to accept success, learning how to accept defeat, learning how to get along with people. The physical exertion part, you know. So we want people to be healthy and move. So there's reward, and you have to make sure that the reward outweighs the risk. And you know, if you're talking about the the this early specialization world it kind of increases your risk a little bit in the future. And so then you you may have to think about, do we cut 
back on that stuff or do we, you know, what do we do? You know, what, what, what's the right thing to do? Even in like the head injury, the concussion world, you know, that, that's, that's always a, a, a difficult discussion because there's not an absolute there. Have you had multiple head injuries? Have you a lot, have a lot of disability from it in the, pa- in the past? You know, are you missing a lot of school or missing a lot of your activities? You know, there's risk there. And then you have to put that on top of, is it better? Is the reward greater than that? So, Gosh, it's always that's always a tough, tough discussion to have. The problem with kids in general is they don't they don't see the future. You know, they see the present and they see that they want to go now and do this now and what you know what can I do to be ready now? But they don't see the the potential for difficulty in the future. And that's why you have people like us. You know, that's why you have people there to help people, to help steer them in the right way. So not only they're looking out for the present, but also for their future. So yeah. you've got to continue to educate. Yeah. And you got to be able to tell the truth and you got to be able to communicate the data. The great majority of what I do when I see people is I'm talking to them. I'm not examining them all the time. I'm not doing some procedure on them all the time. I'm talking to them. I'm educating them and telling them what's going on, what's best for you, and kind of where do we go from there? Yeah. Last question I have, you know, there's people listening to this from around the world. Is there anything about your collaboration with any other doctors around the world within your specialty that's important to talk about? There are absolutely people like me all over the world. This is not just something that's unique to the United States or unique to the Southern United States. There are people like me that are trained all over the world. So, and there are people that can help athletes, can help people with orthopedic troubles, with sports issues, you know, all over the world. And there, there certainly are people like me out there. You know, I guess it depends on what the audience is, you know. So if the audience here is more like parents and athletes and, and people in the community, then if you have some troubles and you are looking for someone like me, we're generally pretty easy to find, you know. We're, it, would be, it would be called primary care sports medicine or just sports medicine, non-operative sports medicine, yeah. If you're more of the health professionals out there, then it's a little bit different audience. You know, we're saying, you know, what kind of things would we do? You know, we we do we we augment a lot of what orthopedic surgeons do, but we also augment what exercise scientists do, what gosh, psychologists, psychiatrists do, uh, what internists do. You know, so we're we're a little bit of uh, I, you know, kind of like a, a Swiss Army knife in the sports medicine world is a good good way to put it. You know. Well, it's interesting to think about the things that have happened over and over again, and that's continue to build out people that are have a great track record, great education, good people, good values, but that have an interest and a care and a passion for a specific specialty. And then when you bring that specialty into a community, into an area, you're going to get more focus on specific things that improve outcomes for the citizens there or athletes there. And then not to mention when you're a research and data-driven group, you're able to take that and you're just going to continue to advance the field forward within that specific specialty time and time again. Yeah. So it's fun, even though we're, we talk about so many different things, it's, it's fun to hear the evolution from the field itself, but also from your own personal experience given where and then where you started, where yep. that wasn't an option when you were coming up. Well, and I, I talk about this often. I take care of people that were me. You know, so from a sports side, you know, I take care of the high school that I went to. I take care of the college that I went to. I wasn't a professional athlete, so I don't take care of the pro athletes that I, I that that I would have played with, I guess. But 
so to be able to do this in the community that I grew up in and that I am from, I would kind of pinch myself because this is when I was a teenager, if you ask me my ideal job, I'm doing my ideal job. Uh, and it's uh, I'm lucky in that way. I'm, I'm so lucky in that way to be able to do that. But I, I love this city and this place, and I want to provide that for this city and this place. And I'll be here probably at least 20 more years doing this. So yeah, I'm around. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah. thank you. And you are lucky because most people don't get to say that. Most yeah. people are doing something that they didn't dream they were doing in high school. Yeah. yeah, my dad was a truck driver. You know, I don't think he would have said he wanted to be a truck driver. You no. know, it was, uh, but I... I was lucky I got those opportunities and I was given the uh, the ability to do the thing that I wanted to do. That's awesome. Yep. This has been a blast. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Now and Future of Orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. Be on the lookout for a new episode coming soon each month. And for more information about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com and also search the now and future of orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this episode, please do us a favor, tell a friend and leave a review. As your host, Sam Coates, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you soon.